Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome to week five of Eye Care Community. It's uh, been a fun ride, and we're still in the middle of it. We're looking at these four eyes. This is in your program. If you want to take it out, you can look it through in detail. But we're looking at these four eyes and uh, just kind of giving intentionality to these things, intentionally interacting with God. We grabbed these bracelets, and uh, we wrote the first names of people that we're going to pray for every day for six weeks. And so uh, you've been doing that. I've been doing that. It's been fun. Uh, approximately 15,000 people a day are being prayed for, that God would open up their heart and their mind to the good news of the message of Jesus. I love saying that, by the way. That, that's so much fun. And it, it's a blast. I was just talking to a friend out uh, in the cafe between services, and she said, one of my names came this weekend, and it's just a blast. You know, it's God works. And so it's fun. And so we've been asking God to just open up people's hearts and minds that way. We said intentionally share love. We said, why don't we be the catalyst for good, right? So in our community, whatever our community is, uh, if it's work, if it's the neighborhood, if it's the gym, whatever like our community of friends are, let's kind of raise our hand and say, we'll be the, I'll, I'll be the person that says, let's finally do it. We've been talking about this need. We've been thinking about this thing. Let's, I'll be the catalyst for good, right? And so we said, let's kind of do that on purpose. And if you don't have a good idea, that the idea that we threw out was the shoe project. That's been fun. I'm watching thousands of pairs of shoes come in, which is just a blast to, to see that happen. And so that was an idea where we could connect, do good with our neighbor, not just to our neighbor, and, uh, and share God's love that way. Then intentionally share hope. And we said, hey, if, if in the process of creating advanced relationships, if somebody asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you, tell them, right? Pray, ask God for a no-brainer moment. And if somebody says, why, you know, why do you view life differently? Why are you so into Jesus? What's your deal? Just tell them. Tell them the story of, of why that's so important to you. And then the last thing we said was intentionally learn the Bible. And we said, uh, I, I know that for many of us, the, the, the Jesus thing, the Bible thing is new, especially here at Grace. It's new to a lot of us. I was talking to another friend out in the, in the cafe, and she said, I'm that person. Like, I don't know the Bible that well. I didn't grow up with it. I, I just accepted Christ a year or so ago. Um, but I'm learning the Bible, and it's so much fun. And like, I'm understanding God in a whole new way. And I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a blast. And so we just said, do that. Like, if you don't know the Bible that well, just beat the learning curve and uh, be a two-hour person. Come, come in here one hour, and we'll have kind of the big conversation and, and worship together, sing and things like that, and enjoy each other. And then take the second hour and go, like, to a class. So one of the, we call it Emmaus training, one of the, one of the trainings, and, uh, and be a part of that, okay? So that's, that's been the idea with eye care. It's all intentionality. Like, I'm, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm actually going to start doing it kind of a thing, and we just said, let's, let's take a few weeks and really focus in on that. You can opt in on your connection card. Uh, you can fill that out. There's a little box back there that you can check that, and we can, we can help you opt in. What we'll do is we'll help you set up a profile on Gracelink. You sign up for the things that you're interested in, and we'll get those details directly to you. It'll just come to your phone or your computer, or you can just do that yourself. You can, you can get on your phone right now, go out to Gracelink, set up a profile, opt into the things that are important to you, and then you'll know, you'll get the, the alerts of when the class is coming and those kind of things, and uh, we'll do eye care together. So that, that's kind of the gist of it, and it's been fun. It's been fun to hear from you through the website, fun to hear through Facebook, uh, praying for folks, having no-brainer moments, doing good. I mean, it's just it's a blast to, to, uh, to do this together, and it's been cool. The idea, the thought came from 
the Bible, of course, and what we did was we just looked at the Bible, especially the second part of it. The, the second half of the Bible is called the New Testament. We looked at there and we said, what, what's the low-hanging fruit there? And the low-hanging fruit is the real easy-peasy stuff is loving God. God says, what I want from people is I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing I really want is I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And the, one of the expressions of loving your neighbor is that you would tell them about me. And so we just looked at that, and we looked at the words of Jesus, and we looked at the words of the apostles. The apostles were the guys that Jesus authorized to speak for him. So we looked at the apostle Paul, what he said. And he said, you know what you are if you're a Christ follower? You're an ambassador. It's what you are. It's like your job. The ministry and the message of reconciliation is entrusted to you. And so go tell people that. Help sinners know that there's a Savior so they can reconcile to God. That's what you do, right? And then we went and we looked at Jesus, what he said, and he used this word picture. He said, if you're my follower, you are salt and you are light. We talked about the ramifications of that. Then last weekend, we said, well, how do we, how do we talk and connect with people who disagree with us, right? What, what do you do with that? And we went back to the Apostle Paul and just kind of learned what he did in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He actually kind of showed us how to do it, and we imported that. Now this weekend, uh, I want to take us to yet another element of that. So if you missed the past stuff, uh, go out to our website, graceohio.org. You can watch conversations there. You can listen to them. You get a free podcast through iTunes. Everything there is free. Uh, just sign up for it, and you can kind of fill in all those blanks. This weekend, I want to have a conversation, and I actually want to have a very narrow conversation this weekend. I want to talk specifically about an element of doing good and how that element is to play out and kind of God's uh, teaching and direction and directives on, on this idea of the poor, of poverty. How am I to interact with poverty? You can't really talk about doing good if you ignore the poverty question, right? So what is poverty? How do I engage it? And what would God have to, to say to me about it? Now, if, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, what this weekend's conversation is uh, for you is its directives. So you're going to see here the, the passage I'm going to take you to literally says, this is what the Lord requires of you, okay? So for the follower of Christ, for the Christian, hearing the pleas of the poor is a non-option. It is a low-hanging fruit. It's, it's one of the main things that we're to do and we're to be known for, is to hear and, reply and re, uh, respond to the, the plight of the poor. In fact, every book of the Bible teaches us that. Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's all the way through. It's one of the clearest things in Scripture, so it's going to wind up being directives to us. If you're, if you're not a Christ follower, this is going to be guidelines for you. So when you think about charitable giving, when you think about generosity, when you think about volunteerism, the, the question is always, where do you start and where do you stop, right? It seems like, like endless. And so this will help to guide that a little bit, and you'll get some principles out of it. And I, I think it'll help you kind of sort through those, those uh, ideas some, okay? So... Poverty. When we talk about poverty, what are we talking about? So we looked into the Bible and, and found that there's, the Bible basically speaks of five types of poverty. Five types of poverty. It's what I found. Uh, some scholars say there's six or seven. I believe that there's five. 
they'll know they're wrong one day and that I'm right. And we all get to heaven, they'll figure it out. That was right the whole time, right? So, so there's five types of poverty, basically, that the Bible would talk about. Um, and that is important for us to understand. So the first, I put these in your, in your notes. The, the first type of poverty is material poverty, all right? Where people are missing something. And the Bible tells Christ followers, we are to respond to and address material poverty, okay? So we do that here at Grace a lot. Uh, in the last five years or so, we've sent out over a million meals for famine relief. So we, we made the need known. You guys gave hundreds of thousands of dollars. We bought the food, we packaged it up, we sent it because people are starving to death and what they need is food, right? So there's a material need. Money solves that immediate need and that is a form of poverty, okay? Now, for North Americans, that's usually where our thinking about poverty stops. So when we think about poverty, we think about clean water and medicine and food and shelter. We tend to think about material needs and we throw money at it. And that's not good or bad, it just is. It's the way that we're wired. We throw money at every problem, right? So if someone's sad, we give them money. If they're happy, we give them money, right? We raise money when there's a crisis. And there's some very appropriate things for that, but it's just a very narrow view of poverty And if you only address poverty one-dimensionally, you actually oftentimes wind up hurting people who are trapped in poverty because it's a multi-dimensional issue, okay? So sometimes it's very appropriate, and and we have even done that here at Grace. We need money, let's buy food, let's get it over to the people who need it, okay? That's the first level of poverty. The second type of poverty that the Bible would talk about is what the Bible calls affliction affliction. And so the Bible would say, hear hear the cries of the afflicted. We would think of affliction in terms of health, health. So some people are impoverished or they're in a poverty of health. And we can address that too sometimes. Um, Five, six years ago, we were in Central Africa in the country of Chad. It's the poorest country in the world. And we were in the southern part of Chad in this town called Gajibian. And we found out that in the southern part of Chad, if you needed a surgery that required a blood transfusion, you died. It was a death sentence. There was no way to do blood transfusion surgery there. We came back, we told Grace Church about that. You guys gave a few hundred thousand dollars and we went and we built a hospital there so that people in, in southern Chad could have blood transfusions if they needed that level of surgery, right? It's an affliction. We heard it, we could do something about it. We have friends on the ground there that can make it all happen there. We got them the resources and we were able to relieve that level of poverty. So now uh, in Southern Chad, if you need a surgery that requires a blood transfusion, you go to our hospital that, that we built, okay? That's a great thing. And it's a form of poverty, it's like a health thing, okay? Third type of poverty the Bible talks about, the Bible uses the word oppression or the oppressed. Okay, we would think of biblical oppression as justice, justice. So when someone lacks access to justice, it's a form or an expression of poverty, okay? So uh, if, if you break into my house, right, first of all, you're gonna run into my two 
masses, my two 200-pound-plus dogs, and they're vicious. Somebody asked me one time, do they bite? I was like, I don't know, try. <laughs> You'll find out, right? Then my kids will attack you, and they're very defensive. Then Heidi will attack you, and then by then, I'll be hiding in the woods, <laughs> you know? So, but if you break into my house and you steal something, I'm going to call the Wadsworth Police Department, right? And I'm going to have access to justice. They're going to do something. If you've wronged me, they're going to hold you accountable for that and make it right. What happens when the police are the one who broke into your house? Well, you call the military. Well, the military and the police are the same thing. Well, then you call the government. Well, the government told them to do it. Okay. Justice. Right? We'll talk about this more. So there is a poverty of justice for many people in the world. The fourth type of poverty is what the Bible would talk about is relational poverty. Relational poverty. It's when someone is alone and kind of abandoned. So James, the book of James, James is Jesus' brother. He talks specifically about widows and orphans. And in the ancient world, a widow and an orphan would, would have no relationships. And James says specifically, it's the church's job to look after widows and orphans. There's a, there's a lack of relationship, and so the church is to intervene and provide that relationship. So there's a relational poverty. And then the fifth type of poverty is a spiritual poverty, a spiritual poverty. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about this. In uh, Revelation, let's see it here, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, God is talking. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So some of the wealthiest, most well-connected people you have ever known, right? They're, they got tons of money and they got millions of Twitter followers are poor, spiritually impoverished. And the Bible says that everyone who is not a follower of Jesus is spiritually impoverished, okay? So when you think about poverty, you can't think about it as a slice. You can't think about a, a money thing, right? You have to think about it as a whole person. What does this person need? Do they need, money? Do they need food in their belly, right? So that, that might be the need, or it may not be the need at all. They may need a friend. They may need justice. They, they may need the hope and the message of Jesus, right? So when the Bible talks about poverty, it talks about it holistically. And when the Bible talks, especially the Christ followers, about our kind of mandate to hear and respond to the cries of the poor, God would think of that in a holistic way, right? That the cries of the poor present themselves differently. This is important to understand in order to address poverty because poverty, poverty is not rooted in a lack of material things. That's a misnomer, right? Poverty is not rooted in a lack of material things. It's how we tend to think about it. But as North Americans... Everybody who has more than me is rich, and everybody who has less than me is poor, right? So we don't, we don't think about it well. So oftentimes when we address poverty, if you address it one-dimensionally, what you're trying to do is raise someone's standard of living instead of engaging a person. So it's important to remember that poverty is not rooted in a lack of material things. Ready? Poverty is rooted, here we go, in a lack of relationship a lack of relationship. If the individual that is in poverty is surrounded by healthy relationships, those relationships will address 
the unique expressions of poverty in that individual's life. So if, if my friend is hungry, I'm going to make sure they have food. If my friend needs medicine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them medicine, right? The relationship is gonna cause that to execute, right? If, if my friend is lonely and I give them a thousand bucks, I've addressed nothing, right? If my friend is afflicted, if it's healthy, if my friend is, is addicted to drugs and I give them a hundred dollars because that's just what you do with poverty, I've worsened that problem. In a relationship, I know a person, I love a person, and it causes me to address their individual expressions of poverty. This is... This is where you go back to the prime directives of Jesus then. Jesus says, hey, listen, number one, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And if I know my neighbor, I'm going to love them. And if I love them as myself, I'm going to make sure their needs are met. So the solution to poverty is not money, the solution to poverty is relationship. If money or medicine or whatever is required, the relationship just causes that to happen, right? Now, that thinking is the foundation for where I want to camp for the rest of the weekend here. It's the foundation of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And that's where we're going to kind of set up shop. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I love this passage. I love this passage so much that one of my sons is named Micah, and this passage like inspired that for Heidi and I, right? Just love it, because what Micah does, Micah is a prophet in the Bible, so a prophet is like an Old Testament version of an apostle, of an apostle kind of, right? They were authorized to speak for God. So Micah is talking, and he's talking directly to God's people, and what he does is he succinctly summarizes how God's people are required to live and interact with other human beings. And in doing that, he gives us this grid that we can interact with each other through, and that grid causes us to address poverty correctly, right? So what am I supposed to do? Micah would say, well, do these things, and it'll, it'll land you right where you need to be relationally and give you the tools to kind of sort things through. So Micah says this, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God says, God has shown you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Require of you, not suggest or think or what did he show you? What does God want? These are my people. This is what is required of my people. Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. My people, the church, Christ followers, are to act justly, they're to love mercy, and they are to walk humbly with their God. And you can extrapolate that. If my people do that, they will love their neighbor as themselves, and they will address the issues that come through being connected to humanity correctly by acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with their God. So let's peel this apart a little bit and dig at it. What is Micah saying and how does that show up in this conversation? First requirement to act justly. What does it mean to act justly? Acting justly is this. When I intentionally and impartially render to everyone what, that which is due. I intentionally and impartially render to everyone that which is due. 
Let me just narrow this to our relationships. God looks at every human being and has created in every human being and assigned to every human being worth, respect, dignity, and value. By virtue of the fact that you are a human being, you are due worth, respect, dignity, and value. You are created in the image of God. You are woven together in your mother's womb. You are who you are intentionally by God. And other human beings are to look at each other and say, God did that. That is a reflection of God. Therefore, every human being is due worth, value, dignity, and respect because that comes from God. That doesn't come because of someone's ability to produce in a society or a social status or whatever, right? So I am to act justly toward other human beings. So for example, bigotry is an act of injustice. It's an act of injustice. When I look at someone and I hold a prejudice against them because of their ethnicity or their race or their gender or, or most bigotry is rooted in socioeconomic issues, they're poor or they're rich. And I hold a prejudice, I hold a, 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 against them because of those things, I am being unjust to that person. Well, why? Because I am withholding dignity from another human being. That is not my place to do it. And the Bible says, if you're a Christ follower, it is required that you act justly. You, and when you catch those prejudices, you catch that in your mind, you, rid, you take that thought captive and you rid yourself of it. It's ungodly, it's sinful. It's an act of injustice, okay? Abortion is an act of injustice. Aborting an unborn baby, why? Because that child is created in the image of God. That's a human being. It's a human being that is being woven together in its mother's womb. It's innocent. If that was a, a, a born baby that was a one-year-old and it was murdered, we would deal with that as an injustice. It's the same thing. It's a human being. It deserves the protection. It deserves the value. They deserve the worth of a human being. It's an act of injustice when I would think of that as an inconvenience instead of as a life. Neglecting elderly or disabled people is an act of injustice. Well, what? well Joe, if they can't. No, just because someone cannot contribute to a culture the way that we want them to doesn't mean that we warehouse them, that we put them away, that we don't. In fact, the scripture would say, actually, you honor them more highly because of their innocence and their vulnerabilities. You would protect them to a greater degree. Why? Because their value, their worth. See? It would be an injustice not to do this. Anytime a person is abandoned or abused or oppressed or trafficked or wronged, there's a lack of justice that's there. And much of poverty is rooted in those concepts. I have no access to justice. I have no one that advocates for me. I have no one. And so I'm forever being taken advantage of, and I have no one to appeal that to. And the Bible would say to the followers of Christ, we don't do that. 
and we advocate for those who are oppressed by it, hear their cry and respond to it. And if you have the ability to bring justice, that is what you do because that is who you are. You act this way. So justice is this essential part of God's character. When I act justly, what I'm doing is I'm letting my light shine before men. I'm demonstrating who God is to people who do not have that demonstration in their life, right? Hence, there's a poverty of that relational, economic, whatever happens, wherever that expression might happen to be, okay? So justice. Now, the scripture goes on. You are required to act justly, and you are required to love mercy. I find that concept fascinating. We could, we could spend an hour just talking about loving mercy. I find it just fascinating that God doesn't say you're required to do mercy. You're required to extend mercy. You're required to tolerate mercy. He says you are required to love mercy, passionately, willfully, joyfully, purposely. I love, I cherish mercy. It's just a fascinating concept, okay? So justice and mercy. Justice is you getting what is due you. And sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. So sometimes that means dignity, respect, worth. Sometimes that means three to five years, right? It's, it's justice. You did it, you get what's due you. Mercy is me choosing not to cause you to pay for the consequences of your decisions. So I am choosing not to bring those consequences to your life. I'm being merciful to you. And it's fascinating that God says to his people, those two concepts need to intertwine. You are to act justly and you are to love, be passionate about mercy. And those two concepts are gonna balance out in relationship as you draw close to a person, okay? Now let's just talk about this a little bit and, and start playing with how this, how this plays out, okay? In the, in the narrow application of poverty and the five expressions of poverty, let me ask you some justice and mercy questions. So the poor often need mercy, right? But we're also to act justly. So for instance, are addicts responsible for their addictions? Addicts responsible for their addictions. Somebody said yes. Absolutely yes. Right? Addicts are responsible for their addictions. Okay? Is a person who made callous, shallow, bad financial decisions, are they responsible for their bankruptcy? Yes. yes. Okay? If you ignored your educational opportunities, and instead of like going to math, you smoked pot and dropped out of school early, are you responsible for that? Yeah. Did the school fail you? No, the school didn't fail you. You failed right? You may, you're responsible for those things. Is a teenager who got pregnant because of consensual sex responsible for that pregnancy? Yes. Yes, right? I, I was a part of an action. By the way, the mother and the father are responsible for that, right? I was a part of an action. This is not an inconvenience. This is a, this is a result Right? I hesitate to use the word consequence, but as far as a result, it's the outcome of a decision that I made. 
I'm responsible for that decision. Justice is simply saying, that is what happens. You, you did this, and you are now, this is the outcome of that decision, you are responsible for what happens to you. Now, oftentimes, when dealing with the poor, we would love it if we could stop right there. See? See? You got schools in your neighborhood. Get over yourself. You, you didn't have to do drugs. You didn't, you didn't have to get pregnant when you were 15. That, that's on you. Made your bed, lie in it. Right? Justice, void of mercy, can be an excuse to be harsh. Now, mercy, void of justice, often presents itself as enabling. And neither thing is loving or helpful, right? All mercy is me never making anyone take responsibility. You have loved no one by blaming everyone except the one responsible. And all justice with no mercy is not helpful. Looking and saying, well, you're responsible, you're responsible, you're responsible. But devoid of mercy because I'm not sensitive or caring about the circumstances surrounding the decision that the person made. If you were raised in a home where your mother and your father are both drug addicts, mom's on crack, dad's on heroin, are you gonna grow up void of some life skills? Absolutely. If your, if your family is three generations deep, if your granddaddy is a drug dealer and he's 45, and your dad, see, is a, is a drug dealer, and he's 30. And your older brother is a drug dealer, and he's 15. When your teacher looks at you and says, Billy, you ought to go down to McDonald's and make seven bucks an hour. When everybody else in your family comes home with $500 cash in their pocket every night, and you come home with $17.31 in your pocket, is that going to make sense to you? When your grandmother and your mother are all on welfare and you think about the forward path of your life, does being entrepreneurial or getting ahead even logically click for you? Because I don't, I don't thrive, I survive. It's all I've ever seen or known. If the most violent place in your life is school, if you get an A or a B, and you get beat up for it in the first grade. By the way, I know kids like this in the ghetto of Philly. This happens all the time. Is getting good grades something you're going to, is that going to be worth a free Frosty? See? Now, are they responsible? Yes. If I want to lead someone through a process out of a generational poverty, is mercy indispensable? Yes. If, you, if I don't meet you till you're 15, are you gonna have your life straightened out by the time you're 18? Or did it take you 15 years to learn something wrong and maybe take you 15 years to understand it correctly? See, it's mercy. It is not loving to leave someone in a mess. 
That's enabling. And it's not loving to just diagnose their mess. You ought to stop that. Justice and mercy are required of the people of God. They're required of the people of God. Why? Because it causes us to go to relationship. And in relationship, which is the solution to poverty, now we're able to navigate. I'm not enabling you, but I am empowering you. I am sensitive that what makes sense to me does not make sense to you. What is common sense to me is not common sense to you. In fact, you may have never been, you may have never had the idea exposed to you. I was talking to Dwayne Krabs one time. It works down at South Street Ministry. He told me about the time that he was talking with this seven-year-old boy, and he said, hey, this is, uh," he was introducing the boy to his wife. He said, this is my wife, so-and-so. And And a little boy looked at Dwayne and said, what's a wife? Never even heard of the concept. Is mercy, should he know what a wife is? Yeah, is he responsible to have a godly marriage? Absolutely. Does he have any idea what you're talking about? So is mercy required to help a kid like that break a cycle? You don't dumb the bar down and leave them in the mess, but with gentleness and love and respect and patience and mercy, you lead them out of it. Now, there's three requirements. Fascinating, right? To act justly, because there's five types of poverty, so I'm going to act justly. I'm going to love mercy. And then the third requirement is what? Micah 6, 8. I am required to act justly. I'm required to love mercy. And I'm required to walk humbly with my God. It's fascinating. What does it mean to walk humbly with my God? Walking humbly with my God is simply this. It's me as an individual never forgetting that outside of the mercy of God, I am impoverished. All five of those elements apply to me outside the mercy of God. I am not a self-made man. I'm a God-made man. Well, Jeff, come on. You're a self-made guy. No, I'm not. I'm a God-made guy. Oh, come on. You work hard. You're smart. Go to the church. Your wife's smart. She runs your business. She works. You're edgy. It's Dr. Bogue, right? Yeah. You're, see... You're a self-made guy. You pulled yourself right. No, I didn't. I'm a God-made guy. Well, that's, you're a communist. No, I'm not. You're a liberal. No, I'm not on some things maybe, but not on most, right? You're a socialist. No, I'm not. You're a capitalist. No, I'm not that either. Why are you? I'm a God-made guy. What do you mean? I am not the result of myself. I am the result of the mercy of God. I am materially impoverished except for the mercy of God. You work, Heidi works, you guys own a business? You, you're, that's you. No, it's not. God is my provider. I'm not my provider, right? Grace Church isn't my provider. Heidi isn't my provider. God is my provider. I know men who work much harder than I do who cannot feed their families. God is my provider. I am the mercy of God. My health, right? I have access to easy meds. I have a friend in Africa, I'm not even sure if he's alive still because you can't just get a hold of him, who is my age, who's a pastor, who's educating, who is dying 
because he doesn't have access to a pill that I can go down to CVS and buy. It's got a heart condition. I'm a result of the mercy of God. Who decided that I was going to be born in Beaver Creek, Ohio? Who decided that I was going to be born with a mind that was sharp and intact, with a body that was fully functional? Who decided I was going to be born to parents who actually loved me and didn't abandon me, to siblings who cared about me? Who decided that I was going to be born into a culture where the gospel of Jesus is played on the TV screen at Christmas time, Linus reads it to me? Instead of the dark lostness of a Muslim nation. Did I decide that? Did I make that happen? Well, you took advantage, right, I took advantage, I'm responsible. I took advantage of what was gifted to me. But it's not mine, it's a object, a giving, it's the mercy of God. I didn't create those things in my life, you didn't create those things in your life. We are recipients of it. And the godly person who walks humbly with God never forgets that what is given to me is not mine to hoard, it's mine to steward. I didn't create it, it was given to me, I'm the keeper of it. And the Bible would say, this is why. So that when this child cries out to God, God activates his people who he is blessed with wealth so we can go and alleviate the need of this one who's impoverished. When this person cries out to God, God activates his people who are well-versed in the Bible, so much so that many of them are bored with it, so we can take the truth of Christ to this person who's spiritually impoverished. So that when this person cries out, I can go to my medicine cabinet, which has 47 different varieties of vitamins. I was with a doctor in Haiti about five years ago. He told me 60% of the problems that we're looking at and working on right now would be solved with a multivitamin. See how that works? I am not a self-made person. I am a God-made person. I am an object of God's mercy. And the man or the woman who walks humbly with their God never forgets that. So when I look at my possessions, I don't look at them as mine. I look at them as God's. And they are resources that are activated when God makes the need known. Act justly. Love mercy. Don't tolerate mercy. Love it. And walk humbly with your God. Because outside of God's grace and goodness, I'm the person on the receiving end. That's all that is. The smartest man I know is the head of the seminary in Central African Republic. We just evacuated him from the country because he and his family have a death sentence on them because they proclaim and teach the gospel. Did I? We went to the same school. We have the same degrees. Somehow, I made myself and he who's impoverished and oppressed didn't? That's foolishness. In humility, I am him. 
The mercy of God is the only reason we don't switch places. And so when my friend needs my help, he's got it. Because my possessions and my connections and my relationships and everything that is me is actually God's. And my brother in Christ is in need of that at this moment. I act justly. I love mercy. And I remember that I am impoverished. I'm not a self-made person. I'm a God-made person. And the mercy that God gives to me, now I administrate to those who need it. We're not called to enable. Don't give money to a lazy person. The Bible says that, do you know that? The Bible says if a man is able to work and he doesn't, he shouldn't eat. Don't give money to a lazy person. You're not loving them. You're hurting them. Don't give money to, to an, an addict. You're not loving them. You're hurting them, right? But don't just apply justice without mercy and see through a person and all that's going on in their life and by drawing close to them, loving your neighbors yourself, the unique expressions of their poverty will become clear to you and God will help you know how do I bring to bear what, what they need in their specific situations? How do I love them? and help them and do good. All right. I, I want to try to put some handles on this so that we can walk away with like some solid, solid like takeaways. And, and, and I think the best way to do it is, is this way. Guys, when, when you think about poverty and you think about how do, we, how do we deal with poverty, don't think about what to do. Think about what to ask. Okay, so I want to give you a series of questions as opposed to like a series of to-dos, a series of questions. When poverty presents itself in all of its forms to you, what should I ask myself? And these questions will help you kind of know how to like gear up relationally and come up beside that person. Okay, so here's the first question. It's up on the screen. First question I ask is this. How can I share my life? It's, it's not throwing teddy bears at poor kids. It's how do I share my life? with this person, okay? How can, I, how can I love them and create relationship with, with them? It is very difficult to stereotype a person that you love. It is very difficult to stereotype a person that you love. So I'm asking, how do, how do I love them? How do I draw close to them, okay? It, how do I, it's not, how do we solve the problems of the inner city? You're never gonna do that. Like the government's tried for years, it doesn't work. How do I love that kid or that single mom or that single dad in the inner city? Like, how do I be a friend? Okay, so how do I share my life? Asking that question. Second question I'm asking is this. How do I become aware? How do I become aware? Not hearing the cries of the poor is often rooted in not knowing what poverty is, right? When, when you are obsessing about yourself and you are so caught up in, in your own world, it's usually because you've lost sight of someone else's pain. 
I, I have stood in many slums in my life, many ghettos, many inner cities. Uh, we, I've done that, Heidi and I have done it a ton in my life, and this is one thing I know. I have never stood in the slums of Brazil or Haiti or Africa and saw incredible poverty and felt discontent. I've never been in the slums of Haiti where the, the, the sewage and the drinking water are the same water source and thought to myself, man, I wish I had a 70-inch flat screen instead of a 57-inch. I've, I've never stood at the hospital at Gaji Bien, watched a woman have a C-section without any anesthesia and thought to myself, I can't believe that I have such an old surround sound. Because the center speaker just went out on my surround sound. And I just feel like God has forsaken me. It really did. I'm letting you know that because my birthday's coming up in a few weeks here. Right? It's fascinating. I've never been around real poverty and been resentful for my life. And we have to become aware. When Paul talks about equality, he's not, it's not communism or socialism. It's awareness. Paul is, when he talks about equality, he's saying this. Listen, guys, if you have seven to 10 to 20 pairs of shoes in your closet, make sure this person has one. When you're, when you're at home, and you're trying to lose 15 pounds because you're fat, care about that person that's starving to death. Paul is, Paul is looking at the church and saying, it, guys, it, it's getting ridiculous. And I, guys, I am not a guilty American. I am not. I have a beautiful home. I like my air conditioning. I, I like my memory foam mattress. I like my 57 inch. I am not a guilty American and I do not want my children to grow up being guilty Americans. My father has blessed me and I'm, I'm going to enjoy that blessing, but I am not gonna hoard it. Heidi and I, a, a huge value for us is that our kids experience the world. We spend a fortune on this. Because I don't, I don't want them to be guilty. I want them to be grateful. And it fascinates me. When they go to impoverished places in North America, in Akron, and across the world, they are different people. Why? Because you just can't be. You just can't be ungrateful when you're looking at people suffering. And when the contents of your garage would change their life. Be aware. This is what God's talking about. He didn't say be guilty. He said be aware. Don't turn a deaf ear to it. That's what he's saying. He didn't say go around being guilt-ridden and not enjoy anything. That's foolishness. But don't be numb or deaf. How can I be aware? Third question. How can I share God's heart with them? This is a big deal. One of the analogies God uses in the Bible, one of the word pictures, he says of the church specifically he says that the church is the family of God, right? The family of God. I have two sisters, Sharon and Susan. I can tell you this. If I found out 
today that my sisters could not eat, I guarantee you by the end of the day, that would not be true any longer. If I found out today that my, one of my sisters was going to be without shelter, I guarantee you by the end of the day, that would not be their circumstances any longer. If I found out today that someone was abusing or trafficking one of my sisters, I guarantee you by the end of the day, that would not be the case and somebody would be hurt. <laughs> Been in two fist fights in my whole life and they were Sharon's fault. <laughs> because you, my, you don't talk about my sister that way. Absolutely not. I will, I will black out and beat the snot out of you. Right? Why? These are my family. That kid that's starving to death while you're trying to lose weight is your brother or your sister in Christ. That woman who's treated like a piece of property and not allowed to go to school is your sister in Christ. It's unjust. It is not tolerated by the people of God. That person who's trafficked or abandoned is my brother or my sister in Christ at a minimum, they're a human being. And if I have the ability to do something about it, I, I don't just tune out that noise. Not the people of God. <clears throat> I tell you what happens you go hang out with them and you love them and you're not talking about these people anymore. You're talking about people that you love. And you cannot and you will not tolerate it. You will share the love of Christ with people that you love. You can't, you can't stop yourself from doing it. Next question, how do I advocate? How do I advocate? See, if, if justice is lacking and I can provide it, how do I provide it? If someone's being treated unfairly, if someone's being taken advantage of, if their landlord's ripping them off, how can I advocate for it? Because it's one thing to pick on that person. It's another thing to pick on their big brother. And I'm going to square off with you now. It's a very different, it's, a, it's fascinating how quickly justice comes to the table. When someone who has access to it demands it on the behalf of someone who does not. How can I advocate for it? And the last question, how can I bring them all the way to the gospel? Jesus might say this. Jesus might say, what does it profit a man to eat three meals a day, have new shoes, have a home and clean water, and have medicine and an education, and lose their soul. The earthly and social needs of people should be met by the church. But we are not complete in our addressing poverty until we have addressed spiritual poverty as well. If a person is hungry, we feed them and then we take them to the bread of life. 
That's what Jesus would say. If they don't have a well in their village, let's dig it. But then we give them the living water. These are analogies Jesus uses. I, I'm not going to just address your, spirit, your, your physical needs with that and leave your spiritual needs vacant. And I'm not just going to tell you you need Jesus and go and be well fed. It's always both and. And our, our job is incomplete until we move it all the way to that point. All right? So poverty. Five expressions of poverty. Right? Poverty is addressed through relationship. And relationship is healthy when it acts justly, when it loves mercy, and when it's defined by humility. I'm not a self-made person. I'm a God-made person. And I'm simply administrating to others what God freely and abundantly gives to me. Right? Do good. Create and advance relationships. And poverty is a part of that discussion. And ask the band to come out. And guys, as they come out, let me, let me just give you some questions to think through in your time with God, okay? Here's the, here's the first one. Do you hear the cries of the poor? Listen. Get off the highway and go into town. Don't drive past it. Don't just go to the queue or the progressive field, or the football stadium. Go to, go to Cleveland. That's not Cleveland. That's sports. Actually, go into town. It's a whole different world. Okay. Hear the cries of the poor and respond to them. And as God brings those across your path, what he'll tend to do is attach your heart. Why, why do we go to Central Africa? I don't know. God just attached our heart there. I don't really know why. There's needs everywhere. But those I lose sleep over. See? So go, hear the cries. God will attach your heart. Right? But hear them. Don't tune them out and don't ignore them. Second, are you acting justly? If you can advocate, advocate. Treat people with justice. Listen, the racial joke at the office stops with you. The, the sexism, the, the, the perverted comments about the boss or the coworker stops with you. It's done. Because the people of God do not conduct ourselves in these ways. It's a sin. It's evil, and when the temptation crosses the mind, the thought is to be captured, held captive, and redeemed. Enough's enough. Right? Act justly. And love mercy. Don't, we, we, don't, we don't tolerate mercy. We love it. We're excited for it. So I look at these people in my life and I'm, and they treated me this way 15 years ago and so I'm still treating them this way. That's nonsense. What, can you imagine if God did that to us? We love it, right? And all of this comes from humility. I'm a God-made person. Everything I have is a gift from him.
So think it through. Pray it through. Confess sin where you need to. And just give God latitude in your life here. Okay? Give God latitude. This is what the people of God should be famous for. This, this is our hallmark. So let it be true of you.